This morning we, as we've been thinking about Advent, we begin a, a new series uh, on Advent titled Good News of Great Joy, which sort of dovetails with our devotional we're doing uh, each day. Uh, we're, we're taking time this Christmas to think and reflect on how it is that Christmas is good news. It's good news for every single one of us. Uh, and Christmas is good news for every single one of us because Jesus meets us in the middle of our brokenness and our messed upness. Uh, John describes it in this way, and it's a passage we looked at already. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, Jesus chose to live with us despite all of the mess, despite all of the sin, all of the shame in our world. So Christmas is a story of, of God coming down. Uh, to not only be with us, but also to rescue us and transform us. Uh, and when we understand Christmas in that way, we can understand that it really is good news of great joy. Amen. Um, over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at a number of different passages uh, with a primary focus uh, on Matthew and Luke's Gospels. Uh, and we're going to be thinking about the good news of great joy through the lens of how it is that God has a people, God has a purpose, God has a promise. That's going to be the next three weeks. This morning we're taking time to think about how God has a plan. So it wouldn't be a sermon series without some serious alliteration. Um, so as we think about how God has a plan this morning, we're going to look together at Luke 1 and verses 5 to 25. And then we're going to jump over to verse 57 through to, to verse 80. So if you have your Bibles, let's have a look at Luke, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen. So Luke writes this. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to and unable to speak until these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed for so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. 
when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favour in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. And then if we jump over to 57 of the same chapter, Luke writes this. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she had a son. Then her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child in the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he'll be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name as John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them. And all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us, he has dealt mercifully with our ancestors and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, having been rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, this is, this is your word, and we, we thank you that we have the opportunity this morning to come in freedom and to read your word, to hear what your word has to say. And, Lord, we just want to pray that you would protect our hearts and minds from any work of the enemy that might take us away from your, your word and your truth. We pray that by your spirit you would grow us in the things of the kingdom, in your ways and in your will. Help us to see what your word says and help us to then live in light of your word. Lord, I pray that you would grant us a greater, a much bigger vision of you. Help us to see how much you love us. Help us to understand how much you care for us. And help us to know that you are with us in every moment and through every season. So bless us, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we, as we think about this idea of, of God has a plan, um, I wonder what you think about in terms of God being at work over all of our lives. Um, God at work in all of our lives. God fulfilling his plan and purpose for each one of us day by day. Uh, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? 
I think if we're all really honest, uh, we can all identify with those moments in our lives where we do struggle to see what it is God is doing in the midst of our circumstance. We can all put our hand up this morning and recognise that. Sometimes it's hard to see what God is doing in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our complicated lives. And sometimes that is our own fault. We're not walking in God's ways, so we're not seeing God's purpose for us. But on other occasions, we find it difficult to see God at work. And we can't, we can't pin down precisely why this is. And we're seeking God, we're, we're seeking to live for him, but at times he can feel distant. And there's almost this, this experiential disconnect. Alongside this, I think we can also relate to those moments where we look back and we finally see what God has done or something of what God has done. And we go through something, it's been tough. We don't understand it at the time, but then with hindsight, we see something of why this has happened. We look back and we can say, that makes sense now. In the moment, it made no sense whatsoever, but now I can see this, I can understand this. And we're left with thanksgiving at the way in which God has led us through that particular season, as difficult as it might have been for us. For years and years, uh, the most popular verse that Christians would send to one another, and it was all the rage in 1990s baptisms, and I know this because I was there, it was Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then the, the nonconformists came in in the noughties, um, and for them, they had this pushback uh, on this particular verse, mainly from Bible students, and I was one of those. Uh, their argument was, this verse does not apply to us today. Those words were for the nation of Israel, who were in exile. This verse has no relevance for any one of us today. But I want us to see this morning that God is not a polygamist. He doesn't have two brides. He has one people his own children, and all of his promises, Old and New Testament, find their yes in Christ. And when we look at Jeremiah 29, 11, through Christ, we can understand that God is in the business of prospering us, of not harming us, of giving, of giving us a hope and a future. And he's in, the business, he's in the business of doing that according to what his definition of those words are, not our own definition, not the world's definition, not anyone else's definition. So Jeremiah 29, 11 is not a promise of health, wealth, and security, but it is a promise of the power of God at work in our lives to make us more like Jesus until that day that we see him face to face in glory. Coupled with that verse, when I think about this idea of God having a plan, that's one of the verses that comes to mind. The other verse I always find myself coming back to is Ephesians 2 and verse 10. The Apostle Paul says this, for we are his workmanship. It's an incredible statement. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And none of us can fully comprehend that reality. God has prepared good works for every single person in this room. And we are called to then walk in light of that. Through these words from Paul, we see God's plan is twofold. As his workmanship, he's making us more and more like Jesus. 
from the inside out, God is molding us within the core of who we are into the likeness of Christ. And deeply connected to this is the idea that we're also created for good works. So God is changing us from the inside out, but he's also created us for good works. God in Christ is equipping us to serve him with the various gifts we have. We're blessed in order to be a blessing, what we looked at a few weeks ago in our sermon series in the church. So based upon these two verses, Jeremiah uh, 29, Ephesians 2, I want to submit to you that yes, God really does have a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for this church and praise God for that. The question I want to ask is, what does this have to do with Advent? The fact that God loves us and cares for us and has a genuine interest in every detail of our lives, the fact that God has a plan for each one of us is because of Christmas. Christmas shows us that his plan for our lives is one where he is actually working out a much greater, a much bigger plan. One which is actually not about us. Uh, one which is all about God. And it's not about our glory, it's all about God's glory. We should therefore be the most passionate celebrators of Christmas. We should be a people who out-celebrate the entire world at Christmas. Like we should be Christmas nutbars to some extent, like just so consumed by Christmas because we're so consumed by God and the gospel and what he has done for us. We're rejoicing in God and this is an incredible moment for us because the world indirectly rejoices alongside us even though they don't know what they're doing. They are, they are singing and, and celebrating alongside us and we have this moment as they come alongside us to show them the joy of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God. What, a, what an opportunity we have. What a privilege we have to do this. So this means it is an utter anomaly for those of us in Christ to make Christmas anything other than Christ and his birth. Anything other than his life, death and resurrection. It has to be all about Christ. So in your coming together, in your eating, in your laughing, in your crying, in your talking, in your listening, in your watching, in your resting, in your reflecting, in your giving, in your receiving, in your helping, in your serving, in your comforting, in your encouraging, in your opening, in your welcoming, in your decorating, in your singing, in your reading, in your praying, Whatever it is you do this Christmas, make it all about Jesus. Make it all about him. Do everything you do this Christmas through the lens of the great command and the great commission and the power of the Holy Spirit. And watch, this is an incredible thing, when we let go of the expectation we have for Christmas from our world and we pursue God, watch how Christmas becomes more satisfying than anything you've ever experienced before when it comes to Christmas. I'm utterly convinced, utterly convinced this is God's plan for each one of us, this Advent. Give it all to him because he has given you everything. I recognise as we do that, this Advent, that's going to involve change and sacrifice for each one of us because there's often a tension between our own plan and God's plan. That's true of our lives. But it's also true at Advent as well. It's true for Christmas. 
we have a plan for what it is we should do. Uh, and that ties in with the things I've just mentioned. We can do all of those different things in our own strength and for our own selves. And we can choose not to do those things with a desire to love and please God and glorify God. How much more challenging, but how much more rewarding that we walk into Advent in the power of God, for the glory of God, and ultimately for our own good as well, we'll experience satisfaction. There was another man who felt that tension between his own plan and God's plan. His name was Zechariah. And we read about him in our passage this morning. He's a fascinating individual. There's so much to learn from Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Many people read these words we've just read and they'll see it as a story about John the Baptist. And that's true to some degree. Um, but I would say primarily this is a story about the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah. And it's a story of how God walked with him and helped him let go of his own plan so that he would then come to terms with God's plan. And it's a challenge for all of us to let go of our plans to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and not lean in our own understanding, to seek His will with all that we are, knowing that He will make our path straight. That is a challenge for all of us. And this is a challenge that Zechariah faced. From Zechariah's example, we therefore have a lot to learn about how it is God works in our own lives day to day. And I'm going to share with you four lessons we can take from the life and example of Zechariah, as we think about the fact that God has a plan. So the first thing I want us to, to look at from this passage, these two passages, is God has a plan and it plays out in the midst of our suffering. That's the reality. Uh, this morning, as we, as we begin to look at this passage, I want us just to come to terms with who Zechariah and Elizabeth were. Uh, first of all, we read that Zechariah was a priest in Abijah's division. So he played an important role in leading the community of God's people in worship. And this was no small responsibility. He was clearly someone who people regarded highly because of the role and the position he had within his community. Secondly, this wasn't just a job that Zechariah had. It wasn't like he was fulfilling a duty and then being his own man outside of that. Luke tells us that they, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were righteous people. They obeyed and fulfilled the commandments of the law. And this was motivated out of a love for God and a desire to please God in all things. So there was integrity with Zechariah. He lived a life of godliness as he also was a priest. And thirdly, we read that they were infertile. They had been unable to have children. And they were at an age where it would have been impossible to have children in the future. And we read in verse 25 how difficult this was for Elizabeth in particular. Luke tells us she felt disgrace and shame at the fact that she was unable to conceive. And there's no doubt this was clearly a burden for Elizabeth and Zechariah. They had carried this burden for a long, long time. What I'm about to say you may view as speculation because Luke doesn't tell us this in our passage, but it's clear that when we, when we read our Bibles, this is a true, important biblical principle. And we see it played out in all of our lives and the varied circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. I want to suggest to you this morning that verse 7 is the reason 
for verse 6. Uh, the suffering that Zechariah and Elizabeth went through because of infertility, verse 7, caused them to run to God, caused them to rest in God, caused them to live for God, verse 6. And you can maybe relate to this in your, in your own life, maybe not with infertility, maybe with that, maybe also with something else that you are struggling with. Perhaps there is something you have been through. Perhaps there is something you are going through. And you're finding that God is actually using this to draw you nearer to him. And the passage that immediately comes to mind when I share that is James 1 and verses 2 to 4. James says this, Consider it a great joy. And I'm not there yet. Consider it a great joy when you suffer. That's not me yet. By God's grace, I'll get there. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance have its full effect. It's almost this, God, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to let your endurance in my life have its full effect. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I wonder this morning, as we come into this Christmas season, a season that, let's be honest, many of us find difficult, what is your verse 7? What is your verse 7? What do you find hard? What are you finding hard right now? And is it then leading you to a life reflected by the words of verse 6? Is your struggle pushing you towards God and His grace, or is your struggle actually causing you to walk away from God and his grace. Let me say this morning, if that's you, if you find yourself struggling with something, whatever it might be, you're not alone in that. Speak with me as your pastor. I would want to, to hear from you, to talk with you, to pray for you. As elders, we want to help in whatever way we can. We want to listen, support, pray and lead so that you have a better perspective and you experience God's strength in the midst of what you're facing. Rest in these words from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 and verse 29. And again, this is quite an incredible verse. Paul says, For it has been granted to you in Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So it's part of the package. If you want to follow Christ, it has been granted that you will suffer for Christ. That's the deal. We can't get away from that. In fact, God's suffering. Nothing is wasted in his economy. God will use that to make you more like Christ. God has a plan. And it often, it always actually plays out in the midst of our own suffering. And the second lesson that we learn from the life of Zechariah is God has a plan. And it's normally marked by it happened. It happened. What do I mean by that? Well, our God is a master storyteller. Stories were God's idea. God invented the whole concept of, of story. And the gospel is the greatest story ever told. And our passage this morning is part of that bigger gospel story that we see in all of scripture. And often it's not clear that God is at work, but the more we dig into the gospel narratives in the book of Acts, the more we see God, God working through ordinary circumstances. Things seem to happen. And it's God at work in the midst of that. 
God does all of this in order to fulfill his perfect plan for our lives and for this world. And I want to show you what I mean by this. We see this in verses 8 to 9 of our passage this morning. Zechariah's division was on duty and we read, it happened. It happened that he was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now don't miss that. That's a really, really important set of words. It happened. It just so happened that Zechariah was the one who had been given at this particular moment in time priestly responsibility to fulfill his duty. And this it happened moment was no accident. It was the exact moment, the exact location that God would reveal his plan to Zechariah. We actually see something similar in the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. So there seems in this story to be an orchestrating of ordinary circumstances. And we never read words like God led Ruth to Boaz. We don't see that in that story in the Old Testament. Instead, the author says this of Ruth. She happened to be in the portion of a field belonging to Boaz. Again, happened. She happened to be in the, in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. Ruth happened to be in Boaz's field. And at the precise moment that Boaz was walking by, Zechariah happened to be chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary, to burn incense. The perfect plan for God to then speak to him through Gabriel. And what are these examples but God working through ordinary circumstances to fulfill his perfect plan for his people? And we are the same. We are all the same. Um, our lives are full of it happened moments. The truth of the matter is that when you start to live for God, when he is number one, when he is the center of all that you are, coincidences often occur. That's the reality. That's been my experience. That's been your experience. I've spoke to many of you and you can share of this. You've told me of many it happened moments. When we experience these it happened moments, it does something to our hearts. It humbles us. It causes us to break out in praise and worship. It gives us perspective because we start to realize that our lives are much, much bigger than us. God's plan is much bigger than our own plan. He is at work in our lives and he is making us more and more like Christ through these it happened moments. When I was uh, 20, which was a, a long, long time ago, um, I was just about to start my honours at university. Uh, I was trying to work out what I was going to do in the, in the year that followed after uni. Um, and I always had this strong desire to do some kind of overseas mission using football as a platform. Um, and that's another story in terms of how is it God birthed that in my heart. But it just happened. just happened. In the summer before my final year of university to be at a Christian youth event down in England. Uh, and I just happened to go with another church. And I didn't really know anyone, only a couple of people. And I just happened to meet this guy who was, who was a part of this church group. And he told me that he was planning to go on mission in Bolivia, South America, and use football as a platform. And you know, when I heard him share that, something lit inside of me. I knew in my heart, the Holy Spirit was convicting me. This is what you need to do. This is what you're going to do after university. 
And then the following week, I just happened to be at another event back up in Scotland, which had absolutely no connection with the event down in England. And I just happened to hear a girl sharing her story of being in Bolivia in the last year. And she was about to go back out again. And the more I listened to her, the more I realised she's talking about the exact same project that the guy was talking about last week. And then she actually mentions a guy that I met in the previous week by name. And that was just double confirmation for me. This is what God wants me to do. This is his plan. And what did that cause me to do? Well, it caused me to say in my heart, God, you're amazing. God, you are incredible. You care about every detail of my life and you led me in those two moments in the space of a week so that I could see something of your perfect plan. So God is full of these it happened moments. And God just happened to put Zechariah there because he wanted to reveal the plan that he has for, for both Zechariah and Elizabeth. And God does so through an angel in verse 11. And we read in verse 12 that when Zechariah saw the angel, he was terrified. He was overcome with fear. And in verses 13 to 17, God unveils his plan for the two of them, a plan which would have completely blown Zechariah's mind. We find this from this passage, two things that highlight the unveiling of God's plan. God was answering Zechariah's prayer for a child, something that he'd obviously been praying about for a long, long time. Verse 13 and God also says, through the angel, he was to be named John, and he would be anointed by God to lead his people to a place of repentance, restoration, and renewal. So God clearly had big plans for this child that he was about to give Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this leads us naturally onto the next lesson. As we learn and as we come to terms with God's plan, one that we can all relate to, God has a plan, number three, and it's something that we struggle to see. Let's be honest about that. We often struggle to see God's plan. So God through his angel reveals all of this to Zechariah. This is my plan. And look at how Zechariah responds in verse 18. It's fascinating how, how Zechariah responds here. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah could not comprehend how it is that all of this would happen based on the age and stage of both him and his wife. And this moment has undeniable echoes of Genesis chapter 18, when three visitors met Abraham and Sarah. And when the Lord, probably Jesus by the way, told Abraham, told Abraham that Sarah would have a child in her old age. And she was in the tent, she heard it, and she laughed. She thought it was utterly ridiculous. And Zechariah here doesn't laugh, but he's definitely dismissive of the idea that this is what God's going to do. And what we discover in verse 19 is the angelic response to Zechariah. Luke writes this in verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Gabriel wants Zechariah to know that he is standing with Zechariah in this moment not because Gabriel has a message from Gabriel. This is a message from God, the God who he stands in the presence of. Gabriel stands in the presence of God and he is communicating the message that was given from God to Gabriel, Gabriel 
to Zechariah so that Zechariah can comprehend and understand all that God has planned. And because Zechariah chose to question the word of the Lord in a manner that was cynical, in a manner that lacked faith and was unbelieving, Gabriel silences him until the day that this promise would come to pass. Now, Zechariah's journey with this angelic visitation is quite an interesting one if, if we think about it. He went from a place of being utterly terrified to suddenly questioning whether God's messenger had actually gotten it right. It's pretty bold. I mean, he's, he's went from petrified to pessimistic in the space of a few minutes. And God shows grace and shows mercy. God's plan was still going to come to pass. But I think as we see this reaction from Zechariah, it's something that we can all relate to when it comes to how it is he responds. None of us have any right to judge Zechariah. We read the varied and powerful promises of God that we find in his word. We, we all do this. We all understand what God's word says for our own lives, for the church, for the world. And we may even have a sense of what it is that God is doing and how it is that God is leading us. And sitting in our heart, as we read God's word, we can carry this heaviness, this uneasiness that says, God, how are you actually going to do this? How are you going to do this? I see this in your word, but when I look at my life, when I look at this world, I can't see how this is going to happen. There's disconnect, just like Zechariah. Yesterday, we were in a taxi with Pauline's family. We were going to the Panto, to the King's Theatre, to see Snow White. Highly recommended, by the way. It's a, it's a good show. Um, for a whole list of different reasons, which are not relevant to this sermon, I had mixed feelings about going to a Panto. Uh, but it was good. It was helpful. The journey was about 10, 15 minutes in a taxi from our house to the theatre. And I ended up sitting at the front and I was chatting with the taxi driver, and I, I discovered very early on that he was Romanian. So I'm asking him questions, uh, and I'm getting these kind of closed, short responses, um, which immediately stop the conversation. So I'm asking these questions, and I'm not really getting anything back at all. And so my heart cry went something like this, as I'm sitting in the car, five minutes into the journey. God, I, I know you've called me, to be a witness. I know this is who you've called me to be as a child of God. And you've promised to empower me in that moment, in, in these moments. But I'm not feeling it right now. This is hard. You need to help me here. You need to help me to be a witness to this guy. Because I'm hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall. And it's that moment that we all have from time to time. Whatever it might be, when the promise of God does not match up with our experience. And we all have this. Second half of the journey, final five minutes, it feels like a long journey, but it was only 10. The final half, having prayed that in my heart, it all seemed to change. Because he then asked me a question that then opens the door for me to share about what I do and where I'm based. And suddenly the conversation was flown. And I'd love to say that I shared the gospel and asked him to respond being then in a taxi. That didn't happen. But what did happen was God bringing fresh revelation of how he works in and through these kinds of, these kinds of encounters. And what I realized is if God has promised 
to do something. And if we are open as well, if we're believing that God's going to do it, then he will open a door for us to do it because he cannot go against his word. So it's one thing God promising that. It's another thing us being open to that. And then it's another completely separate thing being obedient to that. God promises it. Are we open? And are we obedient to then follow through with what we believe God has said in his word? So when I prayed, it felt like the whole atmosphere changed in the taxi. And that could only have been orchestrated by God. And I wonder this morning, what are you struggling to see God do? What are you struggling to see God do? You read his word, you know what he has promised, and there's this feeling in your heart, this circumstance you find yourself in, and it makes this promise feel highly unlikely. The situation is speaking louder than scripture. And you not only struggle to believe it will happen, you struggle to live in light of it happening day to day at a practical level. You're not walking by faith. And I think almost all of us can relate to this. And all of us would have reacted the way that Zechariah would have reacted here if we had the same circumstances. We would also struggle to see how it is that Elizabeth would be able to have a child. And we would have all faced the same punishment that he faced, one which the whole community would have been witness to over time. Corrie ten Boom was a, a Christian writer. She was also a survivor of the Holocaust. And she once said this, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the driver. And I think for all of us, we need to do that. Trust the driver. Trust in his word. Rest in his promises. And let God's perfect timing work all things out. He is faithful. He will never fail us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. This leads us on to the final lesson from Zechariah. Number four, uh, God has a plan and its purpose is much bigger than you. When we've spoken of God's plan this morning, I hope you don't think this is anything to do with you getting your best life now. It's not what we're talking about. The plan of God for your life is umbilical cord connected to the plan of God for, for eternity. That's the reality. God's plan for your life is deeply, deeply, deeply connected to God's plan for all eternity. And God's plan and purpose for your life is much bigger than you. In a very important sense, it's not about you at all. As we move on in the story in verses 57 to 66, the child has been born. He's about to be circumcised on the eighth day. Tradition would have it this child would be named after his father, Zechariah. But Elizabeth is adamant he will be named John. The people ask Zechariah, they're not convinced about Elizabeth's answer. And so they ask Zechariah, what should they name this child? And Zechariah, still mute, writes on a tablet, his name is John. And in that moment, he can speak again. He's been healed. This then sets the stage for Zechariah's prophecy in verses 67 to 80 of our passage. And it's here we see Zechariah, something's happened in this guy. He's changed. Suddenly he has a much fuller, kingdom-minded vision of what it is that God is doing. Zechariah essentially is saying, it's not about me. It's about God and what God's doing. Perhaps this time of silence was an opportunity for him to be humbled and to learn and grow in a much deeper way the things of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God. 
And without question here, Zechariah sees the role of his child in the context, John the Baptist, in the context of God's bigger plan and purpose. And we see this in verse 76 of our passage through to 79. Zechariah, filled with the Spirit, prophesies and says, And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And I hope we can understand what is happening within the life of Zechariah. He had the blueprint for how he was now to live his life from then onwards as a result of what had happened. He could see how God was going to use this child. He could see the role that he had to play in this too, to be the best dad that he could be to John in order that he fulfilled his kingdom promise. So as Zechariah prophesies, he starts with John, but he ends with Christ. The journey for Zechariah was one where he began with his circumstances and it resulted in him giving glory to God. And what an absolute privilege for Zechariah. God had given him a role to play, a part to play. His plan was so much greater than Zechariah the man. And Zechariah knew this. Zechariah was completely content, full of joy, at peace with this. And as he lived out that plan day to day, this was when he experienced true freedom. I want to encourage you this morning. This might not sound encouraging to you, but it is, promise me. Trust me. I promise, it absolutely is. You will only find true freedom when you come to the realization, like Zechariah, that your life is not about you. It's not about you. This Advent, this remainder of your entire life, not just Christmas, for all of your life, in your coming together, in your eating, in your laughing, and you're crying, and you're talking, and you're listening, and you're watching, and you're resting, and you're reflecting, and you're giving, and you're receiving, and you're helping, and you're serving, and you're comforting, and you're encouraging, and you're opening, and you're welcoming, and you're decorating, and you're singing, and you're reading, and you're praying, and whatever it is you do, this Christmas season, for the rest of your life, make it all about Jesus. It is all about him. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Zechariah could now see what God was doing through the gift of his son. And he now knew what he had to do to make much of God as he fathered, as he served, as he loved. And in all that God has given to us, the invitation is to look at the things that we have, the ways in which we've been blessed, the, the, the roles and purposes we have, and see what God is doing. God wants us to, to use those things to make much of Jesus. To have that bigger kingdom vision. The people we are, the things we have, the gifts we carry, the various things that we do, it's all for Jesus. It's not about us. This is God's plan for your life. This is God's plan for my life. This is God's plan for our lives as we love and serve together at Denison Baptist Church. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing this morning in response to God's amazing plan. And if you want to talk to me about anything relating to anything we've looked at, 
you would like to receive prayer, then do speak with me after our time. Um, I'll be able to pray for you or someone you know, someone we know will be able to pray for you as well. So do reach out. Our God loves us. Our God cares for us because our God has done everything for us. Be found by him, be changed by him. Make it all about him this Christmas and for the rest of our lives.